Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Dawn Ziana Moon. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. It's really nice to have you back on. So the last time we saw you was actually, we were fangirling you uh, <laughs> at a panel at C2E2. C2E2 feels like it was a million years ago. ago. And it was only two months ago. Yeah. <laughs> right? It feels like a completely different world. Yeah. Alternate like, timeline. We were we were even. smashed between we were like in a crowded room. Yeah, can we talk that pat was packed that panel. Y'all's panels are always packed though. Wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. I don't even remember yeah, yeah, yeah. at this yeah, point. It was really it was really full. It was like we we got there early enough or were like pushy enough that we somehow had chairs. Right. But like it was like standing room. It was yeah. amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Well anyway, and then but we and we've talked to you in the past about about just you as an artist and about Rax Geek as well. Um but yeah, it's it's interesting. so you've been we've talked a little bit in the pre-interview and you've been doing a lot already of, of like live stream performance stuff. Um, so let's just go ahead and like, I guess the first thing we should do is just get right into it. So, um, what is the, the project that you've been currently working on? So it's multi-part basically. So I, I run a group called rocks geek, which does uh, nerd themed belly dance and fire performances. And obviously we usually do those live. We also have a spin-off called Rocks Inferno where we do the same sort of a thing, belly dance, fire spinning, but we don't necessarily have to do that in cosplay. So it gives us a little bit more of an open theme. So in this, since we got into lockdown and theater shows are no longer a thing, I've been producing live stream shows with our groups, both of them. And at this point, I've already done three live stream shows, one for Rocks Geek, one for, actually, sorry, two for Rocks Geek, one for Rocks Inferno, and then we're going to do another one for Rocks Inferno on May 15th. And that's going to be a little bit different because it's going to be a circus show. So not just belly dance and fire spinning, mm -hmm. but we're going to have a lot of circus performers also uh, jump in with us from all over the country, I think. That, that's yeah, I love there's a lot of tangents that I could go on already, but the one of the things I want to say real quick is just like, I love the aspect of people that do like multidisciplinary arts. Like we just talked to some to people that were, um, that are opera people. And so they're producing an opera and they're having people sing all the different parts, but like exactly like that they're it's like everyone's doing it in their own corner of the world. And it's weird how it's both like the most connected thing because it's anybody can, just get on a webcam or get on a, a camera hooked up to a streaming software or something. Um, but it's also like in this time of extreme isolation, I just, I, I, I find that just like the, the circus aspect is so fascinating. Like what, um, what made you, what has it been that process like been getting to just kind of like adding all of these, adding multiple like streamers essentially into the, into it. Well, we've tried to do things like uh, one of the things that we do in the style of belly dance that I do is group improvisation so that you can do what looks to an audience if you're doing it right, like a choreography, but you're actually improvising the entire time. And there's just a whole set of cues that your other dancers are looking for. We've tried to do that just in rehearsal. Right. And that did not work over Zoom because yeah. the sound delay was 
the, the delay made that a little bit weird. Uh, at some point, we're probably going to try to see if we can do choreography together. But I've seen some people manage that reasonably well, actually, in spite of the delays. Uh, what we've been doing for all of the live stream shows is doing individual performances, which has been a lot easier to manage. Sure. And one of the things with the circus stuff is that given that we're all trapped in our homes right now, and it doesn't really matter if you're in Chicago, if you're in California, mm -hmm. I reached out to some friends of mine who are scattered all over the country. Um, the show, the, the circus show that we're doing is going to be an all Asian American cast. Mm -hmm. And I said, would you be interested in joining in on this thing? and raising money for Asian Americans advancing justice. And they said, yes. So it, it's weird because the, the geography goes away, given that everyone is just stuck online and in their houses at this point. But it's also a huge challenge trying to do things that are truly collaborative. So sure. we're tr trying to find ways to make it feel like we're in the same space as we live stream from our different houses and feel more connected. And so far, it's been pretty good. It's not the same as getting to be in a theater altogether, but mm. it's not the worst substitute. Yeah, it's wild. Like the the other live stream performance that we were talking about the other day, it was a live stream production where everyone was in their respective homes of the opera La Boheme. And, you know, the the two kind of romantic leads, one of them was singing from Chicago and the other one's singing from like California or something and like watching it, you're like, you think they're in the same room. Like it's like the, the aspect of geography just kind of like melting away is so interesting mm -hmm. to me. But then I also like the, the thing too, is that so much of the pandemic is so geography based, you know I mean? The, the thing that I find, so important about your work too is just how strong of an advocate you are for the Asian American community. And like, you know, with that, especially with just kind of like the racist dog whistling that has been happening around coronavirus and, and, and every bit of it, like, like you've been an outspoken supporter of, you know, shopping local businesses and, and, and food and, you know, like perfect example was was coronavirus was going on during c2e2 because i remember going to uh so yes it, it was yeah yes. it was it was mostly in it was most it was in like china and, and a little bit in italy well because that's the perfect example so because i remember we went to c2e2 and then after so we've been covering c2e2 for three years now yeah and at this point it's a tradition on the last night for us to like take the whole scopy staff to get hot pot yeah and the, that's um, awesome yeah it's great but but it's also like it was wild because obviously at that point we're so used to like well the last two years you go and pretty much everybody that that was at c2e2 had the same idea and would filter to like you'd see people in cosplay in chinatown it was like this kind of like really amazing well and like like we had to be like really judicious about where we were going and like call places in advance and be like how long is your wait and then like go with the shortest wait time because mm -hmm. everyone was like, oh, our, we have a two hour wait. Oh, we have a 45 minute wait. Oh, we have a 20 minute wait. Like, but this time we called, we called a place and the first place we called, we were like, is there a wait? And they were like, no, please come. <laughs> yeah. Chinatown got hit a lot earlier than other small businesses did. Chinatown's all over the country. At the point that C2E2 was happening, uh, restaurants, Asian restaurants, because in the, the minds of a lot of people, all Asians are basically the same. So it wasn't mm -hmm. even just targeted towards Chinese people. It was 
all Asian restaurants across the country, a lot of them were experiencing 50 to 80% drops in business already. So they had a hard time a good, you know, two months, month before everything really hit everybody else. So it was rough for them. And I am really kind of worried about the future of, you know, Chinatowns and Asian restaurants in general across the country because they've been hit for much longer and they don't have a lot of resources. Yeah. So I hope they get help. Yeah, yeah. I hope so too. No, I, for about eight or nine months, I worked at, I worked at a cafe in the little Vietnam area over the Asia and Argyle neighborhood. And mm-hmm. it was owned by uh, two sisters whose parents owned a restaurant down the street. And they, that restaurant had been open since like 1997 or something like that. And like, so they were like very aware of the politics surrounding like Asian immigrant owned businesses. Mm-hmm. And like recently with all of this happening, I'm, I like went to their Instagram page to just be like, I wonder how they're doing. And they've just like, I mean, I think that, I think they still exist like I think that there's still a a a cafe but they they've like shut down for COVID because I think that like there's there's a certain there was a certain kind of like there was a certain cynicism that was kind of like underlying at the 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 community of like, oh, well, like it could kind of like, it could go at any second. It could go at any second. So like, honestly, I'm not that surprised that they shut down and a lot, like just because based on based and not shut down, but just like temporarily closed just because like from the, I don't like, and I like having walked around Asia on Argyle, like a lot of those places. Mm-hmm. It's, it is not easy to be a small business owner in God, America, no. let alone like, one like, facing just like a like weird layered discrimination. Yeah. And in addition to that, a lot of Asian American communities, you know, immigrant or not, took everything far more seriously to begin with. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Right. If you went to grocery shop in an Asian market well before everything shut down, people were already wearing masks, mm-hmm. they were already wearing gloves. Um, if you went to a restaurant, a lot of times that they were already wearing masks and gloves and taking things seriously, like well before, you know, sort of the general public did. Mm -hmm. So it was not all that surprising to me when I was walking. I mean, I was sad. (laughs) I walked around Asia and Argyle myself, uh, relatively early into the shutdown just to kind of check on things and see how, see who was open, Mm -hmm. um, if I could you know, go to a restaurant and order some food from them and kind of help them stay alive a little bit. But a lot of things were shut down Mm -hmm. because they took it very seriously from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to get more into, um, what, can you talk more about the org that the, that your event is supporting? Sure. Uh, Asian Americans Advancing Justice is probably the, the biggest group that does advocacy for Asian Americans it has an outpost in Chicago, so we do have a local office here, but it's also a national organization. The other major office that they have is out in L.A., and they do a lot of work doing things like tracking hate crimes and documenting mm-hmm. that, uh, doing advocacy in government on the national level. Um, they're a really great organization. That's rad. And, yeah, because I, I want to talk more just about kind of, you know, 
what, um, yeah, like, what made you want to perform for, like, in an, in an advocacy sense like that in this time? Like, what, what was that decision-making process like? So, in general, since, since the Trump administration came into power, um, I sort of rethought how I did art. I didn't, you know, as an artist, a lot of times you will do fundraiser shows for sure. show, for right. organizations oh, that yeah. you care about, right? Um, because artists generally have really big hearts, and I think that that's fantastic. And we want to use our skills for good. So in the era of the Trump administration, I have found myself doing more and more work along those lines, more fundraiser shows, uh, more mm -hmm. sort of raising awareness about different groups that are working in, especially Chicago, because that's where we're based, right? Um, to just kind of make things better. As far as right now, we've got a lot of rhetoric on the national level, politically, that wants to blame China for the coronavirus, um, exoticizes Asians and Asian Americans. And uh, all of this rhetoric leads to there has been an incredible rise in hate crimes. Mm -hmm. At this point, uh, they're documenting about 100 hate crimes per day of the groups that are tracking this. You're seeing things like there was a video that was going around on Twitter where it was just a surveillance video from a woman's um, a woman's building where she went outside and looked like she was uh, putting garbage outside. And there was a guy sitting on her stoop who was waiting for her and threw acid on her. Um, God. So all of these things are really disturbing. And yeah. I was thinking about what I could do to help, you know, yeah. as individuals, you feel like there's not all that much you can do. Well, what I can do is I can bring awareness that this is an issue that Asian Americans are facing a lot of discrimination and harassment and hate crimes and violence at this point and try to, you know, direct some resources to an organization that might help to make that a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always, honestly, as a journalist, I always feel maybe silly is the wrong word, but like, I guess about asking questions like that. Cause like in some cases it's so obvious why you know what I mean like right. it's, it's <laughs> like it's terrible it's tragedy like something needs to be done about this and it's like it's just it's just it's because then I, I find myself another another silly question that I that I would like to just be able to hear the answer to in your words is is um you know it I think it takes a lot of bravery to uh make creative content or or let a creative process have political messaging. Um, and it, that does not seem like, in, in my experience with your work, it does not seem like that's something that you shy away from. I think that's really rad. But, I, but I'm kind of curious, like, is that something that you've thought a lot about? Like, like, or is it just how, yeah, like what, what does it mean to you when your work does have like political messaging? is something that I used to shy away from more. Again, that's something that really has changed with the Trump era. Mm -hmm. um, as the the political rhetoric was getting so xenophobic and so racist, I, I hit a point of saying, you know what? I do not want somebody to come to one of our shows who is going to say that 
you know, trans people are not people or to say that immigrants are not people or I, I just don't want those people <laughs> to be part of our audience. Our group is majority Asian American. It's majority LGBTQ. All of these issues hit really close to home. And I don't want our performers to be exposed to people who are spewing hate. And I don't want personally to be exposed to people who are going to be racist or xenophobic or actively working for the destruction of all of the people I care about. Mm. And so as a group, we said we're going to be really explicit about now our identities, which, you know, it's sort of obvious when you put a person on stage, the, the sort of identity that they're coming from. But we said we were going to be really explicit about it and we were going to be really explicit about advocating for the things that we care about, even that influence uh, sort of political discourse. So that's that's been a relatively recent change. Yeah, something that I, uh, you know, when you, when you interview people like, uh, you know, more than a year ago, you like certain things kind of like bubble to the surface about what we talked about last time. The thing that I do remember from our conversation last time is that your troop is majority is something you specifically that you said that everyone is either Asian or part of the LGBTQ community or both. And everyone, yeah, the majority. <laughs> yeah. <Do> you actually, <laughs> we have, we have, you know, like a straight white guy who is our MC. <laughs> he's, he's the exception. <laughs> and you know, yeah, he's kind of outnumbered. Yeah, uh, and and that's why I, that to to speak more to just kind of like uh, I'm always I'm as a person that is a journalist that doesn't really like how journalism functions sometimes. Like I always find myself with that question of like, what does it mean to you to be an artist with political messaging? Like, so many times it's like our society makes identity political without someone that identifies a certain way even having a say in it, you know? And right. So it's, it's My always, entire mm -hmm. who I am is political to certain people no matter what I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so it's it's always... <laughs> yeah, I don't know why where I'm... I don't, the pandemic's got me, like, just let, pulling back layers of, of, like, veneer and just being like, here's how the cogs in the machine work of this stuff. <laughs> Of, of the interview and things like that. But it's just like, I, yeah, I think about that a lot of, of, you know, what, what do, what do we want to be saying in this time about what it means to be making art politically? You know, I don't, does that make sense? Like, like what it's, it, it is, it is not encompassing enough to me to ask, what does it mean to be making political art? You know what I mean? Like, what does it mean to you? Let me turn this into it. What does it mean to you to be making like art that is genuinely personal in that way? Right. The things that I'm thinking about now are entangled in political discourse. Mm. I mean, the dance form that I do is really strongly rooted in Middle Eastern folk dance. It's a fusion of a whole bunch of other things. You know, it fuses in hip hop and flamenco and jazz and ballet and bratanatium and a whole bunch of other different things. But at core, it's rooted in this Middle Eastern dance form. And I think that anybody who practices the kind of dance style that I do has a responsibility because of that to also be really aware of what's happening with the Muslim community who is mm. also facing a lot of racism mm -hmm. and has also been facing a lot of hate on the political level. I think as an artist and as a person, 
there comes, I mean, I would say in general, there, there, there's always a point where you have to choose sides, but it has never been more clear that you need to choose sides than since, you know, the end of 2016 happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that I've kind of come to, come to realize through specifically collaborating and just kind of like making online since the since the pandemic started so I've, I've probably mentioned this 80 times on the podcast but i'm teaching music lessons to kids over facetime for 20 hours a week and that is my job right now and what i've come to realize through that is that you can't really waffle around when you're doing something over FaceTime or over Zoom or something. You have to be ultra clear. You have to boil down what you're doing and just spit it out because there's too much that can be lost in translation when you're not occupying the same space as that person. And I think that that necessity for clarity is providing arts organizations and people who generally create a really unique opportunity to kind of like boil down exactly what they want to be doing. Mm -hmm. Have you found this being your third live stream and kind of like having tinkered with the, the, you know, nuts and bolts of how it should work and you know, what, what works and doesn't work. Like, what are you hoping to come out what are you hoping Rocks Geek and Rocks Inferno like I I feel like a lot of people are talking about what they're what they're losing during this time. Mm. What do you hope that Rocks Geek gains during this time? I hope we gain uh, a larger audience. Um that one of the one of the nice things, I mean we're talking a little bit about geography, it's not just performers that your geography opens up now mm-hmm. you know we can reach people who are literally all over the world who can mm-hmm. jump onto we've been streaming to facebook live and people can jump onto there and that's actually been really cool so somebody from new york uh, you know who may have heard of us so the belly dance scene is fairly small and tight-knit um, somebody from new york might have heard of us but they're never going to be able to see a show in chicago so all they're going to get is what we have on facebook and on youtube and sometimes they follow that but they never get to see you know anything that's really live so now we have people tuning into these live streams who are from all over the country and that's been really cool i also got to perform in somebody else's show that was a specifically because this is may it's also asian american uh, Asian Pacific American Her- Heritage Month. And I also got to participate in a show that was a belly dance only show done with dancers from all over the country. And that one was incredibly geographically diverse. It wasn't just rooted into one particular spot. And it was cool to be a part of that because it felt kind of like it was the the all-stars of belly dance in the, the United States from lots of different styles. And that was a really lovely community feeling that kind of grew out of that too, as all the performers were watching each other and people got to talk online. So I think there's some opportunities there to, to kind of grow things um, and to feel people, uh, to help people feel more connected mm-hmm. to people that are in different parts of the country and the different parts of the world. That would be a silver lining for sure for everything having to go online overnight. Yeah. Cause God, I mean like that's cause at this point during all this, like, 
I, cause like, I, you know, when I said like, oh, everybody seems to be thinking about what they've lost. Like me, me, I'm thinking about what I've lost. <laughs> like I, and I think, <laughs> I think that we're kind of at the point we, we talked about this briefly before we started of like the first couple of weeks were really rough. Um, and, and it was rough for everybody for different reasons, whether that be like job loss or just kind of like mourning a social life or just, you know, adjusting to a you know, adjusting to a nor new normal. Everyone had such a hard time and it, it was just brutal at the beginning. And at this point, I feel like instead of being consistently down, it's more up and down mm. you know there are highs and lows absolutely to this. and so like i'm just i don't know i'm i'm finding myself i'm finding myself like really trying to find these silver linings and like that's that uh, like from for me personally i have loved the opportunity to like get to collaborate with people more and to like really boil down what I'm doing. The the thing that I'm really interested by specifically with this upcoming live stream that you're doing is that this um for the for this uh circus performance is that you mentioned that it was all Asian. Is this the first time that Roxy has done a performance that's all Asian? I think so. So the group is majority Asian American, which sort of gives us a default. Uh, we've done shows kind of to celebrate Asian Pacific American Heritage Month before, but I don't think we've done one before that's been all Asian. How has that, um, how has that like homogenous casting, how has that changed the dynamic of the building of this show? I'm actually trying not to cast homogeneously. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I misspoke. I apologize. I meant, yeah. No, like, yeah. I, 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 well, I, I actually do want to delve into that a little bit because, so even though the cast is all Asian American, Asia is a gigantic continent, right? And you've sure. got people who are immigrants. You've got people who have been born in the U.S. You've got people whose families have been here for generations. And so I've been very deliberate about trying to make sure that there is a lot of diversity in our cast, even though it is all Asian. So we have, you know, people who are half Asian. We've got somebody who is a Korean adoptee. We've got people who are South Asian. Um, I want to make sure that we're ex not just highlighting East Asians or just people who are Chinese or just people who are immigrants. I want to have the entire sort of you know, as much as you can do with just a handful of people, a really wide variety of this is what Asian Americans look like. This is what we do. We're not all the same. Well, and that's why it's that's why it's important that you're doing this is because of the bullshit that just came out of my mouth. <laughs> is that <laughs> is that there are there are these like like stupid like white supremacist nonsense ideas of what the Asian community is, is as being homogenous. And so like, through the creation of this show, like, just what, what has the process of creating the show been like out, outside of outside of like being very intentional about casting? The way that I work shows for Rock's Geek and for Rock's Inferno, um, they're, they're pretty loose in terms of direction on my part. Um, they're, they're variety shows. So everybody is really responsible for their own piece of the show. And then we sort of hang that all together. 
and I do a lot of thinking about how to organize things. So for me, the casting is a huge part of it. Actually, it's probably, I don't know, like 50% of the show is me thinking about what is it we're trying to say? So in this case, you know, one of the things that we're, the show is called I'm Not a Virus, <laughs> oh, nice. um, which is taken from, uh, in France, there was a movement, uh, Je ne sais pas un virus, um, that was started by some, you know, um, French Asians because they were also facing discrimination. This is a worldwide problem. This yeah. is yeah. the harassment against Asians. It's happening in Australia. It's happening all over Europe, anywhere where we are not the dominant majority. Um, and then in those countries where there are dominant majorities of Asians, like in Singapore, there's discrimination toward Asians who are brown. So this is this is a global global issue. Everybody wants to blame the other, and they want to kind of jump on the first scapegoat you can find. Yeah, there's a there's a definite myth that just because we elected Trump that we're the only country that does this. You know, not like obviously not like it's all bad. Like a, like a condemnation of of this you know stereotyping and, and reductionist rhetoric all around, but it's we were talking with someone just about um, who recently moved to Europe. This is a sounding board that hasn't been released yet. Maybe at this point it will be by the time of the people listening. Who knows? It won't be. I, it probably just won't be. keep going. Anyway. But, but <laughs> it's interesting, like, they were, we were talking with them about blackness in Europe and that same kind of thing. Like, I think that for some Americans there's a myth that once you leave, like, once you approach international relations it's like it's it's better and and more liberal somehow but it's yeah i don't know um it's different variants of i mean globally right now there right. is a rise of you know fascism uh there is mm -hmm. a rise in xenophobia and racism on a global scale the far right in most countries um at least most western countries the far right oh no not even just the west most countries in general have a growing movement mm -hmm. that is from the, the far, far right that is, you know, things like white supremacy or whatever sort of the equivalent are, the equivalent movement in their country is happening. Um, there is a rise of Nazism all across mm -hmm. the globe. So the U.S. is in a worse state than a lot of other countries, but we are not the only ones by any means. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I want to take a hard left turn <laughs> and I want to talk more about, um, just the process because I, what I do find really, I mean, we've, we talked about this, maybe we talked about this before the interview, I'm not sure, but, um, one of the things we, you kind of hinted at this too, Mo, um, of what those kind of first few weeks of quarantine were like. And one of the things I was talking about before we started recording was just how many people, creative people, have had to put on new hats and figure out how to, you know, especially especially creatives that work in an, in an administrative position as well as their their performance. And, and I know that you very much do that. Um, so I'm, I'm just kind of curious for you, like what how like what has that have you had much need for expansion of skill set and and what has that experience been like absolutely 
Overnight, I had to learn how to live stream and I've had to learn a lot more about video editing because I've done some pre-recorded things for other shows that involve more editing. So that was a skill that I have had to, to know to some degree before, but it's become more important now. And live streaming was a thing that wasn't really on my radar prior to lockdown. Um, I actually went through and tested and researched pretty much every kind of live stream software that is out there, which took a while. And looking at things like, what are business models looking like for doing art on the internet? That's a big part because everything that we do is structured around live performances. Mm -hmm. So when that goes away, how do you help your group survive? Because frankly, we're probably going to be in this for a while. Um, when lockdowns are lifted, it's not like people are going to rush back to theaters. It's not like corporations are going to rush to have huge events that they're going to pay people to come perform at. So how do we sort of survive in the, the interim and hopefully even thrive from that? So mm -hmm. I was starting to do things like look at business models, look at what people who have been doing live streaming for a long time, who are for the most part, all video gamers. Right. And what are they doing? How are they, sir? How are they making this work? Um, and that's been a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I think the gaming industry knew. <laughs> I think the gaming industry, like Twitch streaming, for example, like knew it was going to be very influential at some point, like in right. this way, but just didn't know how. And I and it's funny to me, just like how many more people know what OBS is. <laughs> like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's that to me is really funny. And I, I was the same way. Like I, so I, you know, I'm. My one of my hobbies is I do I am known to play a video game um, or two and and you know so I'm aware of Twitch streaming but like never really you know I'm not the type to ever want to be like a video game streamer but you know with the onset of like needing to record the podcast needed to learn because like streaming software is some of the best for basically like getting a live feed off of your desktop audio, which is like mm -hmm. what we're doing right now to record you. And, um, the, uh, that piece of it, like needing to break down, cause it's all, it's, it's, you know, I guess the question where I'm trying to get to a question with is what are your advice for people that are entering creative processes in this time? Um, but it's, it's obviously it's more complicated than that. You know what I mean? Like it's like, finding those specific functions that you need to accomplish and then finding out which program it is. You know what I mean? So right. Like, and everybody yeah. is going to have different needs. I've right. seen because zoom has sort of become a default in this era, Yeah, absolutely. which is so funny to me because I've used zoom for a long time for meetings. Mm -hmm. um, and, and now that that's become the default for, for live performances even, and it's really not, the great, I mean, it's not set up for that, right? right. We're, we're sort of taking the existing things and we're hacking those tools together to, to make them do what we need them to, mm -hmm. which is great and creative, but they're fundamentally not set up for that. Yeah. So it's cool that I've seen people do some really creative things with Zoom, but then I, you know, like the video quality is not great right. when you're using Zoom. The right. audio quality is not great. And so I, I looked at that and said, can we do better? Can we do things like put in graphics even to some degree into our shows to kind of liven them up a little bit. And then I found myself in the world of streamers and ended up also settling on uh, 
essentially it's OBS. It's a, the thing that I'm using is called Streamlabs OBS, which is a I've little bit more user-friendly mm. than sort of just straight using OBS as it is. And that's given me a lot more flexibility to yeah. do certain things. And the video and audio quality I'm getting out of that has been a little bit better, which has been nice. And we've been able to have some graphics and put things up on a screen. But everybody's needs are going to be a little bit different. If you're trying to pull people online into a walled garden, you've got lots of options for that. Mm -hmm. What we've been doing is just streaming out to Facebook Live and taking tips. So I needed something that was going to be able to handle that smoothly. Yeah. Um, and then as an artist, you're also concerned with things like cost because you right. are not sure how much you're going to be able to afford for some of this. A lot yeah. of the webinar systems are set up for big corporate clients and are horrifically expensive. Mm -hmm. And I was looking into how to do some webinar stuff. You even have the thing where you have stuff that is free during the pandemic. Right. Then and then like afterwards. A month. And that's, that's to me like, it's tricky, right? Because, like, you'll see a... Pro a uh, I really hate <laughs> cloud software. Just as a concept. Like, it's just so... I don't... Maureen's giving... Maureen just... For, for the listeners, Maureen just flicked me off. Because this is a direct reference to, like, a conversation that we had recently about Zencaster. Which seems like an awesome program. It's like... Because you basically get... Like, it's a podcasting program. And I... But I just hate... I cannot stand the idea of of using cloud software just because I don't know. I think it's a scam. <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm taking such a hot take during this interview with you, Don, but I'm just like, <laughs> here I am telling my truth. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, the way I see it with, you know, with programs that are like free during the pandemic is that like, I think either those promotions, I, this is the optimist in me. <laughs> I think either of those promotions will be extended or like, or like there'll, they'll be, they'll realize that one-off in like that smaller users are finding this useful and will figure out some way to make pricing, available. make pricing a little bit more accessible. I don't know. I mean, I think it's smart for the, any company to be offering a promotion during the pandemic, oh, right? Absolutely. So you yeah. Get used to their product. Um, but yeah, I also think about, okay, when the promotion is over, can we afford to use this thing? Because I don't want to have to learn new software after that, right. just because I don't want to pay X amount of dollars per exactly. month. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I went with something that was at a price point free. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I could yeah. deal with afterwards. And I just want to clarify too, I am definitely not questioning like, the good intentions of these entities too. Like I, I do believe that it's like a really, it's a, it's a very nice gesture to, to offer it during this time. And, and the, if Great. people use it and they get a, 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 a thing, a lot out of it, then that's amazing. But for like folks that, you know, this may become part of your um your wheelhouse after you know like in the same way that you mentioned don like your work has really changed so much geographically like what's to say that well sorry let me actually turn this into a question um do you think that that is something that will continue uh post post this pandemic whenever it does end i think it's going to have to um mm -hmm. just in terms of 
I frankly, I don't know that we're really going to be able to get into a theater for the rest of this year. Yeah. Uh, to be frank. And sure. so if we manage to get into a theater before then in a meaningful sense, I'm super happy and that's amazing and awesome. And I will cheer. However, I'm <laughs> trying to make plans for the, the, what seems more likely of a scenario where we don't get to do live shows really until 2021. Yeah. And so I'm planning along those lines. Um, I'm, trying to understand how things might work to help us survive uh, in that sense. Uh, I am looking forward to the thought that eventually, hopefully the lockdowns will be lifted enough that we can have, you know, a gathering the size of a cast. Our casts are not huge. So if we can have under 10 people in one place safely while taking some measures, we can do live streaming from a theater instead of our houses. And that's going to look a lot better. Yeah. But until that point, Right. You know, we're doing the house thing. And I think the, the live streaming from a theater is going to be kind of our intermediary step. Yeah. But I feel like we're going to be doing that for a while. And hopefully the longer we keep doing it, the more we find that there are sort of good sides to doing it and more silver linings, maybe continuing that audience expansion. And maybe that'll help. Because right. um, I talked to somebody who was an artistic director in Chicago. I don't remember what theater he was from, but he was working with Second City in Toronto when SARS had hit. And he said, I mean, SARS was not nearly as much of a problem as the current pandemic is. Mm -hmm. And even with SARS in Toronto, he said it took them a full year before audiences came back to their previous levels. And they were not talking about, you know, Second City never operates in gigantic theaters. We're not talking mm -hmm. about 2,000 seats. We're talking something that's going to be much more contained. So even knowing for a relatively smaller theater that it's going to take probably quite a while before audiences come back to the, the level that they used to before means you should really be planning long term. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and uh, what I want to ask, too, is, so, you know, going from, with with those goals in mind, like, going from your first crack at live streaming to now what will be your fourth and, and like, furthermore, like, furthermore, further on, you know what I'm saying, um, <laughs> what what are some t uh, takeaways that, that you've, um, that you will takeaways. implement? Yeah, like, things yeah. that, yeah. Right now, so what happened to, to us as performers happened in a, a slightly different way to companies that run all these live streaming services and even companies like Facebook, right, that are you're outputting your live stream to, is that their user bases, you know, increased exponentially overnight. So they had a lot of issues on their end as well, just because they didn't have the capacity built into their system or... A lot of live streaming services also haven't been around for a really, really long time. And they tended to have smaller user bases to begin with because it was kind of a niche thing. So suddenly overnight, everybody's jumping on them. Mm -hmm. And they also have needed some time to work out the kinks, to increase capacity, to you know squash bugs on their end. There's some actually really great cloud software that I was trying to use at first that was so lovely because it was user-friendly. It was set up really nicely to do everything that I wanted it to do, but it crashed on us really badly mm. uh, during a show. And then also we've done uh, through Rocks Geek, some kind of just live stream Q and A's uh, talking to our audience and just mm -hmm. kind of hanging out that are a lot lower pressure than doing a full show. And the software has also had some issues with that. So right now 
what I'm trying to do is as much as I can reduce points of failure. Right. So I'm trying to do everything localized to my machine that is possible and pull everything into my computer and then push that out onto Facebook. I don't think that this is the situation we're necessarily going to be in even a month from now. Right. I know that a lot of those companies have been working long hours to try to increase capacity, make everything smoother. So hopefully that's the case. Yeah, yeah, because I definitely just like further <laughs> expand on the thing I was thinking of. Like I think cloud software as a concept doesn't have to be a thing of where it can't work. You know, like I think that just because something is not like hosted to a local machine, like exactly like you put it, like like it doesn't that is that is not inherently a a bad thing. It's just it's just worlds more complicated. And yeah, it is deeply fascinating and interesting to me to think about what we're looking at in the next month even because because there is such a demand for these things to be more reliable. Right. And I mean even reliable down to the internet connections. Right. If you are streaming from a lot of different places, you're relying on not just one person's internet connection, but maybe ten people's yeah. internet connections to to be really stable throughout the entire thing. And that's a little rough. Um yeah, do you, do you so think... So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. It's interesting, like, do you, how much do you think people that are working on at an administrative level as performers have to be responsible enough of... Like, what is their responsibility in knowing how this stuff works? Does that make sense? Um, I verbalize this question of, like... And obviously it's it's more complicated than just like everybody should know everything because it's impossible. But, <laughs> but you know, yeah, like, I don't know. Because also like people don't have to be productive in this time. You know what I mean? Like it's not. Right. 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 Yeah. And I um, felt a personal responsibility to be. So this is very personal to me. Sure. Um, I wanted. So our group does not have a lot of resources, first of all. Um, you know, we're not your Steppenwolf Theater or your Looking Glass Theater and some of these larger organizations who have a whole team of staff to pull from and can also, I think in some ways, sort of afford to say, we're going to just take a break for a little while. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to forget who Looking Glass is if they're not online for two months. Right. I was a little bit worried because our group is so small. Um, that we would lose a lot of the momentum that we have had um, over, you know, the course of the last few months, even. Um, our theater shows have picked up quite a lot over, well, had picked up quite a lot <laughs> over the last four months. Mm -hmm. um, so I had the, I, I'm, I work in technology when I'm not doing art. And so I had the capacity to say, okay, I'm going to figure out these things. And it was really overwhelming at first because you're dealing with a completely new medium. So not only are you dealing with the technical aspects of that medium, you also are trying to think about how do I make this medium more interesting artistically? Like one of the things that I found out with live streaming is that it is more informal and in some ways you can kind of embrace that. Yeah. It's, a little bit, um, you you get to see as an audience member because I've I've also watched some live stream shows to kind of get a feel for what other people are doing as well. And as an audience member, it's kind of nice to see essentially the behind the scenes thing where maybe after the performance is done, 
Um, you can meet the performers' cats or dogs, or you can, you know, see some of the other humans that they're quarantining with. And and sort of embracing what the the potential of that medium could be was, I will say, absolutely overwhelming. So if you don't want to do it, this is not a bad thing. (laughs) Take a break. Um, Just go sleep for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Read a book. Uh, But for me personally, I was really concerned about how to jump online and how to make that happen. Um, So I'm trying to embrace the medium for what it is. And I'm not natively a person who's uh, super interested in, you know, I wasn't really interested in live streaming as a thing before this. So I said to myself, okay, if I'm somebody who's not natively interested in the thing that is really unpolished, which is, you know, what live streaming is, it's just going to be less polished by default than something that you can sit down and edit. How do I make this something that I'm interested in watching? And so how do I push myself to do that? That informality is, is a, is a sticky wicket for sure. Like that's something that like through, like in my teaching I've had to deal with because for my job, I'm doing some live streams of just kind of like, you know, 30 minutes of music so that parents can plunk their kids in front of down in front of something so that they can like go take a shower or something like that. (laughs) And like, so it's been wild. Like, you know, me being, you know, I, I've been teaching for seven years. I've been, um, you know, professional, you know, I've, I'm a professional musician. I have high standards for what I put out, but because, you know, I'm talking into my phone on Facebook live in my living room with my cats running around my ankles, it's like, there is just something that you have to let go of. Mm. And that's... Absolutely. It's so hard to let go of that. (laughs) It's so hard. I will say one thing along those lines that for me personally has been really comforting is seeing all these late night shows and comedy shows and groups that have the resources, right? To have a full studio audience with lots and lots of technical stuff. They are now in essentially exactly the same position that I'm in. They also have to film in their house with whatever they're getting. Maybe the studio has stripped them a camera or something, but they don't have cameramen coming into their house because they're in quarantine. And so they're having their children, you know, I, I, Samantha B has talked about how she's forced her kids to hold microphones Mm -hmm. and to hold cameras and you get your whole family involved and they're not professionals in this. I've been, roping in my boyfriend to be the cameraman in certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's an equalizer in a lot of ways. Yeah. I've been consuming, we've been consuming a lot of Bon Appetit content because we love food. Um, mm-hmm. And it's that same thing where like, you can tell like the magazine just sent everybody out like cell phone holders. <laughs> Cause they're like, yeah, you're just all going to be using your phones and maybe another camera. I don't know if, is it maybe they all have a camera and then a cell phone holder? They're too? all on their phones. Really? They're all recording on their phones. Yeah, yeah, it's that that element is really fun to me to see. Just like the the exactly like even bigger entities being willing to pull back the veil of how they function. Yeah, absolutely. Cool There's a really funny. Uh, I think you can find it. You can find it on YouTube where Gordon Ramsay has a cooking show. 
And he's also in quarantine, and he's mm. got apparently a slew of children. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's got his daughters filming him cooking a thing. And it's so funny because his daughters are just ripping him to shreds, yeah. saying, you know, mom is able to do this in 15 minutes, holding a baby at the same time. <laughs> and he's rolling along with it and letting his kids kind of destroy him. And there's something really sort of lovely and sweet about that. And, and so I'm trying to figure out what those sorts of things are to kind of capture that and to push that out to what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. In, in my teaching, typically, you know, I'm teaching at a studio where I'm surrounded by my colleagues where if I have a, if my student asks me something I don't know the answer to and I don't want to Google it, I can like, I can be like, well, let's take a trip to Mr. Ben's room. And then I'll mm. knock on Ben's door and be like, hey, Ben, blah, 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 and we'll have a conversation. But I don't have that. And but Daniel is also a musician and he's sitting 10 feet away from me. And so it's, it's been a lot of, Hey, D Hey, Daniel, <laughs> Hey, Daniel, take off your headphones for a second. Uh, talk to me about eighth notes. Let's go. <laughs> and it's just like, all right, kids, I guess meet my boyfriend. <laughs> all right. <laughs> let's, let's figure this out. <laughs> we'll deal with the whatever. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed as I've taken some dance classes with people who are also kind of spread out all over seeing their their cats just kind of go nuts in the background and oh dash God. across the the camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Eh, you know. It's You find what you can. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we have a few minutes left. Um, so the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Sometimes it's very obvious, like letting folks know where they can see an upcoming live stream performance or other live stream performances, if that were a thing that you were doing. Um, otherwise we love hearing shout outs to other folks that are doing dope work or any media that you're personally consuming self-care. Otherwise, music, movies, TV shows, things like that. Okay. Well, I'm going to plug obviously the very obvious thing. <laughs> so, the <laughs> um, so the show is... Rocks Inferno presents I'm Not a Virus, and we're going to be streaming to Facebook Live on the Rocks Geek page um, on May 15th at 8 p.m. Central. So you can follow us on Facebook and catch all of our live streams and Q&As, things that are popping up. Um, we also have a website, rocksgeek.com and rocksinferno.com. You can follow me. I'm also a musician, and you can check that out at donzianamoon.com. And also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all of that good jazz. Nice. nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we're up to. There's so many ways you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles and podcast episodes there. You can also keep up with us on social media. We have a Facebook page called Scopy Magazine. We also have a Facebook group that we love and adore called Sounding Board, where we talk about local arts, local politics, astrology memes, you name it. There you can also find a link to our Discord server called Sounding Board as well, where we hang out, have fun, have a good time, and... Yeah, so check it out. Otherwise, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr under Mag, spelled the same way as the website, S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. And you can find the podcast, the one you're listening to right now in most podcast places, including Google Play, iTunes Podcasts, and Radio Public. 
and I'm here as always to talk about the importance of subscribing. If you head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our subscribe page, the best way to do that is by becoming a member. For $2 a month, you will receive an email in your inbox every time we post. So say goodbye to that social media algorithm and hello to our content. Also, also, we have merch for sale. If you head to, to scopymag.com slash store, you can buy your new favorite t-shirt, and that is a promise. Also, if you are a business or an entity or just have something fun to say and want to advertise with us, please feel free to reach out to us at scopymag at gmail.com. So, give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.